Kia ora. Welcome to Microwave Feminism, a podcast where I explore in conversation with others what feminism means to us and how the personal is made political, as my guests share their personal experiences with feminism and politicization, and of course, what it's like to be a badass feminist. No mai, haere mai, welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Kia ora So I am back for a hot minute there. I very much disappeared. So before I introduce this episode's guest and give you a taster of this delicious chat, I just wanted to say a couple of things. So firstly, at the moment, Aotearoa New Zealand is back in lockdown. That means that I've had a lot of time at home doing at-home things. <laughs> My primary responsibility, I guess, at the moment is writing my honours thesis. That's taking up a lot of my energy. And you might be delighted to hear that I'm writing with a feminist or eco-feminist lens. So much of my day is spent criticising patriarchal and capitalist values. But that has meant that editing this episode has taken a little while longer. And one of the other things that caused this was there was a couple of technical difficulties with the recording A couple of the segments were sort of lost into the abyss and it meant I had to go over and overdub just a couple of sections, which was actually super easy. But that extra admin required a little bit more energy than I had to give over the last month. Yep, that's how long I've had this recording sitting in my editing software. So apologies to my mum and my sister who are listening to this, but I can happily say episode seven is finally here. So in this episode of Microwave Feminism, I got to talk to my first overseas guest. This is a gorgeous friend and an inspirational wahine, Kali. Kali is a yoga teacher in California. We met when I lived in Belgium in 2015. And we do talk a little bit about the culture of that experience in this episode. We also talk about yogic philosophy and yin and yang energies, yoni healing practices and much more. I really hope you enjoy this. I'm sorry it took so long to get to you. I also want to say too that over the next month I will be having to finish my thesis and so microwave feminism will return after that point so that I can put in lots of good energy into producing awesome episodes for you. But enjoy this one. Welcome, Kelly, to Microwave Feminism. Thank you for having me. So excited. This is a very unique and special recording. We're going to start off with a question that only I could ask you, basically. Where are you? So I am in Huntington Beach, California. (laughs) So exciting. So (laughs) Kelly and I have... Kelly and I have had to figure out what time we could record and different times for us both. And and that's something new, but I understand that you're also, you've got a little setup. I'm underneath my normal tent with my normal fairy lights. What's your setup like? Mine is interesting because it was a little last minute. So I have my mirror, my fan holding up a sheet. And then to further insulate this little tent we have going Oliver my boyfriend pushed the mattress against this so I'm fully locked in here oh my god I love it okay so before we get started to get to know you more who are you so I'm Callie I'm 
25 and I'm a student yoga teacher in California. What's something that you're passionate about? I'm passionate about being active, moving, feeling good in my body and helping other Mm. people feel the same way. Mm. Mm. I love that. And why why are you here today? Why are you doing this recording? Well, first of all, I adore you. I think that this project is very cool. I think it's very brave to have a podcast in the first place. And then on top of that, you're talking about a subject that can potentially be very triggering and, you know, it's charged. And Mm -hmm. just from listening to your podcast, you create this really safe, beautiful, accepting place for people to talk about something. And that's really rare nowadays, too, Mm -hmm. just in general. And so I I think it's really cool. And so when you invited me on here, I was like, can I, am I allowed to curse? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I was like, hell yes. I, yeah. And I just love how you approach this topic mm-hmm. of feminism in general. Mm-hmm. I love how you said, can I curse? And then you said, hell yes. I know that wasn't <laughs> that edgy, was it? <laughs> You'll probably hear a lot worse from me over the next hour. Let's let's dive in um, and see, see where we go. So uh, firstly, what does woman mean to you? And how does being a woman in this world affect your understanding of it? Okay, so what does a, being a woman mean to me? I'm going to start with that one because those are very loaded. So let's mm. start with the first half. You know what? I think that is constantly evolving for me, especially as I get more and more into kind of learning about the sacred feminine and sacred masculine in terms of like spirituality and energy. So I guess... To me, being a woman is just embracing femininity and not in the traditional sense, but just embracing that kind of yin energy and of being embodied, of just letting my emotions flow through. And it's hard to verbalize. Mm-hmm. Because it's so complex. Mm, for someone listening who might not have experienced, you know, sacred feminine, sacred masculine, yin and yang energies, mm-hmm. could you just go into that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm not an expert on that by any means, but from what I know about, well, yin and yang, so that's the masculine and the feminine, that's in everyone and everything. So, you know, regardless of your gender, whatever gender you identify as, everyone has those two parts to you. It's like the masculine is more like fiery, like the masculine is day. It's you getting things done. It's being grounded. And then the yin part, so the feminine, is, from what I understand, is kind of just embodiment. So it's like embodying emotions, you know, letting things flow through, resting. So I guess lately to me, like being a woman is 
embracing that kind of energy. Mm. Mm. I love that. And I love that those two things aren't, neither of them have much to do with that traditional understanding masculine and feminine, which is so flawed. Those, like when you say that, you know, when you say getting things done and then resting, everyone's like, well, I do that every single day. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, y- you do. <laughs> right. Um, we are we are in and through those energies constantly throughout and to be honest you know I've listened to I know it's this podcast is really heavy on the political you know but how do you you always say how the political affects the personal so I I'm naturally moving more towards the energy part of all of this like feminism and gender and energy and so my my view might be a little different Mm, mm. yeah yeah no I love that and like caveat we are expanding beyond that yeah from here on out um is is feminism important to you and if so how what's your experience been like with it in your life Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, feminism is super important to me. I think there's a lot of different definitions of or views of feminism, like the word as of late. And I identify, you know how there's lots of different views of like Christianity or, Mm. you know, people have, you know, different interpretations, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I think my view of feminism is just everyone should be equal including, you know, intersectionality and all of that good stuff. And yeah, my my experience with fem- feminism, <clears throat> I would say growing up, I didn't really even know what that was. I thought it was for crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> and then once I went to college, there was a lot of classes that really pushed feminism, which I, I think is good because I mean, it's important. The view that I was taught in college, I don't know what they like how they teach it in New Zealand, but looking back, it was a little bit of a overswing Mm. in terms of it was a little aggressive. And I think that's natural when there's, you know, oppression in any sense, it's there's going to be a natural overswing or what do you call it? Over, overcorrection. And then just taking that and then forming my own opinion my own experiences maybe not having the best times out in the world with creepy men or whatever that obviously shapes it so yeah and then just now I think just getting more into the spiritual part of it and the energy part and just learning you know it's it's so deep and it's so it really changes. It affects every part of your life, the, those energies, the masculine, feminine. And, and I guess a feminism kind of ties into that as well. Okay, so many questions. Firstly, when you say overcorrection in your, in your college classes, do you mean, you know, does, is that swaying on the side of like man hating? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there definitely was some. Absolutely. I mean, I think anytime that people are oppressed in any way, like there's anger, you know, and so Mm. it's kind of a rightful anger in a way, but maybe not helpful, if that Mm. makes sense. And Mm. so, so yeah, I guess it was kind of that it was a lot of like overwhelming statistics that are, you know, are undeniably true. 
of just, you know, like rape and like the amount of women who get jobs and all these things. But it was taught, at least my teacher, it was a gender studies class with a little bit of volatility and kind of a lack of solution, which is like a little frustrating because your eyes are being open to all these things and you're like, well, how can we make it better? And it's like, you can't, this is just how the world is. And it's like, well, like, you know, and so I think from there, I've kind of like over many years learned how to, and still learning, peacefully live in this world that has this, you know, injustice or inequality. It is a little bit frustrating then when they start, you know, showing you all these statistics, statistics that are definitely real and frustrating about women not getting jobs or domestic violence or whatever it may be, but then not presenting any kind of solution. And so it's, you're just left feeling angry and kind of living in the world angry and feeling just mad and kind of helpless too and then just from there from my own experience just I've had to move into just to feel better about moving you know living in the world I try and move into a place that's more accepting of how the world is but also you know feeling safe I guess yeah I think that's really interesting too because there may be some strange irony in the fact that I'm going to make a huge presumption that most people taking a gender studies class often be women or women of color and you know people who people who have probably experienced some of the oppression that you know you're going to be learning about and then it's only with all the shit stuff and not and not presented any solutions almost just reaffirms your position and doesn't actually make you feel gonna become any brighter yeah that's literally the most perfect way to say it is they're just showing you every shit aspect and you're like oh yeah I relate to that yeah I relate to that and then you're like well what the hell am I supposed to do like if this Mm -hmm. is just how the world is so it almost it leaves you feeling kind of horrible by the end of it but with without any solutions or any hope you know Mm. yeah that's really uncomfortable my my um teacher was really really intentional about you know when we were showed statistics you know what was behind them and what was going on and and where things could shift and I think that was so important because the statistics are crap (laughs) right I know they're so discouraging when you see them you're like okay I guess I should just give up because like it's not looking too good, you know. Yeah, it's when it's like this idea that before we get to before we get to high school or before we get to university, we have no idea that um, we live in a world where women have been oppressed more than when, men. Like we, that almost doesn't, you know, we almost don't know that. And- mm-hmm. We're like, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense with my experiences. But now I know this thing, and I can't unknow it. Right. Yeah. And I think it leads to a lot of people like, to be completely honest, I think that's where a lot of angry feminists are born, like at least in California, because we teach these college classes that are, I mean, they're frustrating. You finish them and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, this is, this is freaking horrible. And Mm. so 
with lack of solution and and so yeah I think it's just maybe teaching it in a different way would be better I don't know Mm -hmm. or at least having a conversation you know there's a huge lack of dialogue too so like you said you just keep it's that confirmation bias you know it gets to that point where it's like you're just reaffirming over and over and and then the world looks pretty bleak Mm. Mm. yeah that's so true I mean that's to me that's it right like have conversations with people because statistics you know obviously they have their place evidently but they're not going to help us know what's happening in our community with the with the people or you know what's behind those statistics or where those things might be coming from right Um, yeah what would you say the culture of feminism is like in california oh that's a hard question especially now to be honest in in the united states we have a lot of division in all areas but i think i think most people are positive like they're they're indifferent feminists without even realizing it they're they're like yeah of course women should be equal but they are not like actively doing anything you know not in not in a negative way but they're not like going to protests or you know they're just like yeah that sounds fair I think that's the I mean it depends on who you ask (laughs) because there's definitely pockets of people that are more you know self-proclaimed feminists and you know that that plays a bigger part of their identity they you know post about it on their social media they they like to talk about it that's definitely people that are more liberal and that normally end up going to more liberal universities too Mm. what would what's it like in the in the yoga space like feminism in the yoga world yeah Ooh. it's just it's hard to answer these questions because there's such a spectrum of like course. in any community I would say most people I, I well you know yoga it like it goes back to that idea of non-harming that we call it ahimsa in yoga that's the like the basis of yoga is ahimsa so non-harming that's why a lot of you know yogis are vegan or vegetarian because they don't even want to harm animals so Mm -hmm. it it's just naturally in line with people who take yoga seriously that like you know they don't want to hurt a pig and they don't want to hurt another human and they don't want to hurt another woman or you know and so I think for a lot of yogis that are more seriously on like this yogic path. I think for them, it just naturally makes sense to have feminist values, Mm. you know? Yeah, for sure. That makes, I mean, you know, that makes so much sense. And I almost get this frustration around, I do a lot of feminist theory writing at university and I was recently reading a piece where they were talking about how feminism basically just exists in an echo chain feminist theories just end up criticizing other other feminist theories because no one else is actually listening or reading the papers that drives me insane why do people do that but it's so frustrating because we're not trying to go at each other. And I mean, sometimes it is necessary because there are certain 
feminisms that aren't all inclusive. But at the end of the day, we're trying to break down the power structures outside of this space. And it's so frustrating that feminism gets conflated with aggression and anger and all these things, because that's not the point. And I love that in other world philosophies, love and respect for one another is just a given. And therefore, it's feminism isn't necessarily needed because there perhaps wouldn't be the imbalance in the first place. Right. I think everyone should everyone should do yoga. That's what I'm saying. Everybody out there, take <laughs> take yoga seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually really interesting you say that because that has me thinking about, you know, yoga is largely based on oh, I and I'm never sure if I can say this because I I'm pretty sure it's true, but I'm not 100%. But I believe yoga is largely based around Hinduism, like just the general idea. And I, I mean, there's a, there's a decent amount of gender equality in Hinduism, you know, in terms of roles and stuff. So it's just interesting how it's been interpreted, like the modern, you know, people crap on modern yoga, like to no end. But it's interesting how that's kind of been interpreted when traditional Hinduism is a little more segregated. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that always come back to, comes back to a question of a culture's religion or spirituality versus at the actual culture in a in a country and oh right. Um, and politics and you know other things that come into play that make the culture not represent what the actual philosophy is. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That, like that's totally accurate like the the blueprints and then the execution <laughs> yeah pretty much I mean even yeah like you said with modern yoga and the execution of it in many spaces is not is not um it's not tr- it's not its truest form I guess right right um, I think we have a knack for that as humans but that's okay culture comes from and our you know are good differences and some things might speak to different people. I mean, I like that people interpret it differently like that. I think Mm. it creates, you know, diversity of, of different schools of thought and some people relate to some and not to others. And that's okay. Mm. Where did you train? I trained in India. So I did my training in Rishikesh, India, which is about six hours North of New Delhi, a death defying six hour taxi cab ride into the mountains fearing for your life but but it's just the driving's crazy there but India is amazing and yeah so I was there for about five weeks and my program was four weeks it was a two hundred hour intensive yoga teacher training so Mm. it was it was good it was very intense Mm. and that what's the like what kind of yogic philosophy yeah so I did well, it's very traditional yoga. So as traditional as you can get, at least nowadays. And so it was traditional philosophy, the asana practice, which is the physical postures. It was ashtanga, which is freaking brutal. If you've ever done ashtanga, it's brutal, brutal yoga. And then hatha, which is you hold postures for a very long time. And both of those, I believe, were Half is older than Ashtanga, but even Ashtanga was only created in the 1920s. So people get all mm. all up about traditional yoga, but the physical postures are not that old. I 
actually. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. A little plug, Kelly does online yoga, so you should all check her out. I will put your details actually in our little description. Okay, so what are some experiences you've had where you felt like your personal life was subject to politicization or subject to subject to kind of societal values invading on your personal life? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is <laughs> I dated an Ecuadorian guy for a while, you know this. And so I spent a lot of time in Ecuador. And I know it's not perfect here in America, like our our roles. But when I went there, I was very grateful for how it is here because it is very different in Ecuador, at least when I was there. And I felt so much pressure to, I mean, just to not take birth control, to have kids, to be subject to a man. And that was like the most pressure. I mean, I guess that's political in the sense that it was agree. It was just an agreed upon value mm. in that culture by everyone. And it was so scary, like so scary to feel that pressure that much. Mm. And how, like, how can I put this? That And like you say, so that doesn't exist in the United States. What's your experience of like kind of not experiencing that? Well, oh, there's just so many layers. Like just, I mean, I think honestly, just I've thought about it a lot over the years. And I think that the, the strong, strong influence, influence, excuse me, of the Catholic Church in Latin America and Ecuador specifically really affects people's expectations of gender roles. Because here, for example, if there's a couple and they're married and they have kids and the husband starts to cheat on the wife or abuse her, nine out of 10 people in America would say, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. Like she should leave him you know? Mm. And there, if that happens, nine out of 10 people would say, okay, well, that's her job to be is to be a wife, and Mm. to just take it. And that's normal. And so I would say that's kind of the difference. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was it was that difficult? I mean, obviously, got you spent spending that time in Ecuador, you had already formed your formative time of understanding that those weren't your values did you find it difficult to stand your kind of ground in that space when you came back did you feel that was it more more difficult to shed that off Mm, it was actually like it made me livid then and it even makes me you know uncomfortable now just knowing that that exists still it's almost like really you know it's like in 2021 or wait that's the year right (laughs) yeah (laughs) pandemic trauma sometimes I forget the year so no if anything it just made me more it it made me grateful that that we live in a society that I live in a society where I don't have to deal with that level of um misogyny for sure yeah it gave me perspective because I think I had just taken some of those classes and I was like you know, all fired up. And I was like, you know, there, there's worse places to be a woman for sure. 
Mm. Yeah. So for anyone, I mean, no, no one listening to this would know this, but Callie and I know each other because we spent a year living in Belgium during, was it 2016? Yeah. I think it was two. Oh, you were there 2016. I was there 2015. Oh yeah. 15, 16. Okay. This has just made me think, what do we think the situation was like there in terms of misogyny? Oh, in Belgium? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just talking to someone else about Belgium. It's hard to dig back in those memories. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty good there. I mean, compared, they, you know, they made the pill. From what I heard, they actually created the pill in Belgium. That's a really? Belgian invention. Yeah. So I think that's the most like feminist thing you can make, right? <laughs> Is the birth control pill oh my god I did not know that go figure I think so I mean like if, if someone's listening to this and they're like no it's made here but I think so that's what my host mom told me and they're very <laughs> open about sex there that's so interesting because my my thoughts first went to the way that like men behaved in bars <laughs> okay yes and different that- vibe yeah, very different vibe. And, you know, that might be the same everywhere, but definitely I was also, I don't, so maybe you can speak to this because I was 16. So I was so young to be in a foreign country right. drinking at night in cities. Sorry, mom. So maybe what do you think about that? No, you're right. And like, that's the thing too. I was just talking with another exchange student and a lot of what happened in Belgium was very traumatic and so it's kind of selective memory but when you said that I was like oh yes yeah I mean they are so open about talking about sex like it's so normal there and so that ends up like it kind of realizes itself as men getting very I mean, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but men getting really sexual, right? Like mm. when they're drinking, that's, that was my experience. Even sober, the guys at my school were really creepy and they didn't make me feel very comfortable. So yes, maybe there is work to be done in, in Belgium. This is bringing up a lot. Oh my gosh, wait, wait, maybe it's actually so repressed that it could be. It's like that overswing. Yeah, because when I think about how many friends I had in Belgium who were openly gay, I can't think of any. Well, oh my gosh, thank you. There, I remember, okay, I don't know how specific I can get, but I remember I was in the countryside and there was a guy at my school who I just, he was very feminine. And the way he spoke reminded me of my gay friends back home in California. And so, I remember thinking he was gay, just maybe that was a bad assumption, but he just reminded me of all my gay friends in California, my openly gay friends. And I remember one time someone said something about him dating a girl and I said, oh, that's funny. I thought he was gay. And they're like, no, he's not gay. Mm. And it was, I was almost like, wait, why would that be so bad though? You know, like, yeah, it was just, but it's funny that you say that because I had the same experience, you know? Maybe I should talk to someone in Belgium about feminism. I think that there's probably a lot. I mean, maybe it, maybe it's like what you said in Ecuador, the the resistance of religious values in a country probably plays a huge role in their openness towards sexuality and gender. 
Yeah. Okay, I have another question for you. Who is someone in your life that has been a feminist role model or someone who's played a huge part in your life molding or navigating how you uh, see yourself as a woman in this world? Oh, so many people. Let me get out my list. (laughs) Um, I think Oprah was like a big... I remember watching Oprah when I was a little kid. And just seeing a woman with her own show and she's, you know, she's just so strong and commanding of a room. And I think that was inspiring for me when I was younger. And now it's more people who kind of, like I said, are mostly people I follow on Instagram. Like there's Shayna Hiller. She's a yoga teacher. And then this girl named Madeline Moon that I follow on Instagram and they they talk about it's not necessarily feminism in the traditional sense, but it's embodying feminine energy, which anyone can mm-hmm. do, like regardless mm-hmm. of gender. And it's very healing, I think. Mm. Like that, I'm really obsessed with healing. So if that feminism that was taught to me in the college was a little bit intense, then this is like the soft, delicious pillow feminism of how do I live in this world feeling good as a woman you know how do I deal with this world as a woman Mm, oh that sounds so beautiful yeah it's really nice and that's exactly I think as I move through my journey of self that's definitely where my heart really opens and where I feel very much in in flow state is where I'm in spaces where we're looking to the feminine healing kind of energy yeah Um, and that feels to me that feels so much more restorative again you know coming back to those statistics like that is not a restorative thing to learn Mm, totally and no one's going to get anywhere without healing We've all got healing to do from shitty experiences and intergenerational trauma, some more than others. And so, yeah, that's really beautiful. That just made me think of two things too. When you said that's a lot more restorative, that made me think of like the nervous system. And when we see statistics like that or anything that's disturbing, there's a million different things you could focus on about the inequality that it like it perturbs our nervous system it's literally the opposite of healing it's very disturbing you know Mm -hmm. and that doesn't that's not helpful to me that's not helpful to anyone I can't like go out in the world and be my best self with a disturbed nervous system yeah Um, and so that's the perfect way to say it just like you did like it's much more restorative to kind of put your energy into these practices like I've been loving I'm not super into it I haven't practiced it yet but yoni healing practices I think Mm -hmm. are so oh that's like that is primal like primal feminine healing you know and I think even some feminists can get really almost like they they reject the feminine almost in a way not all not all at all but it's like that that overswing and so to just accept your yoni and want to heal it that is the most beautiful feminine thing and and so I think that all of those practices those divine feminine healing practices are so hand in hand with feminism I think it's really lovely yes I love that and man yeah restorative yoni healing for anyone who doesn't know your yoni is kind of your whole your whole female i don't want to call it the female sex organ because that's making it really scientific but it's like your, kind vag- 
vagina and your womb, I believe, right? Yeah, your your vulva, vagina, womb, like the whole area. And like it's spirit too, though, I feel like. Yeah, like the yeah. energy it, it emanates. And because we, to, to just to go really into this for a moment, we store a lot of energy there and because we can store a lot of energy there it can that can mean we store a lot of negative energy mm-hmm. and there's a lot of buildup of trauma energy and so the kind of healing practices that Callie has just mentioned can work to release that trauma or holding of energy is what I believe. Yes one thing that blows my mind is like so kind of going back to the nervous system when we're traumatized in any way our brain kind of cuts off that part of the body. So if we have like experienced something very traumatic, we might actually lose sensation in those areas of our body or like disassociate, Mm -hmm. you know, when you kind of go into a mental space and you're not grounded in your body. And the vagina does that too. Like your yoni, like people lose sensation in certain parts of their vagina because of trauma. And so doing these practices restores that. Isn't that insane? So incredible. It's crazy. So incredible. And often I think, you know, people won't, wouldn't know, right? You'd be like, I don't enjoy sex or I, yeah. I can't orgasm. And actually there's just a lot of trauma and a lot of energy buildup that can be released. Right. If anyone is listening to this and being like, holy shit, that sounds really freaky, but definitely me. Yeah. Um, I can recommend you, and probably Callie can as well, a bunch of amazing podcasts, if that sounds like something you could <laughs> get into. Yeah. As we kind of reach the end of this, what's one message you'd want to get out to the world if you could? It doesn't have to be feminism-related necessarily, mm-hmm. but what's Callie's message that she wants to leave us with oh my gosh that's so much pressure the one thing that you could leave generations well I think my work that I do as a yoga teacher and what we were just talking about and have been talking about this like healing it kind of all ties together and like I said earlier like that's what I'm really passionate about is feeling good in your body so I guess my message would be to the best of your ability, try and heal. Not only do we benefit from our healing, but everyone around us and then generations, you said something earlier about ancestral trauma, like don't pass that shit on, cut it off where you are. And that, you know, includes the trauma of living in a patriarchal world, sexual trauma, whatever it is, do your best to heal that shit. and everyone's better off for it I really believe that Mm. yeah that's really beautiful we're gonna do some I am statements okay so I am whatever you want to say um re-empowering whatever it is just a statement for myself okay so I I'm doing my best to heal my crap yeah i am in therapy Mm. the shorter ones are so much harder Mm. i am trying to 
be the last person in my family to pass on stress and anxiety. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I am pure light and love. Mm. I am joy and pleasure. I am my own best friend. Oh, I love that. I, I'm going to resonate with that one. I am best friends with my little inner self, mm, my inner, inner child. child. I love that one. Okay, we can end it on that one. Yeah, no more. What's something that you're going to take away from hour we spent together? Well, it's been, it's lovely to just connect with you again. I think I was scared to share my view on feminism because it's pretty, it's not always accepted here in California. So I feel, I feel really accepted and I just thank you for that. Yeah. I was nervous. Mm. I love that. And that's, you know, that's the point, right? Like everyone's got views and, you know, we learn so much more by talking to each other than just by being in an echo chamber. Um, And the echo chamber can feel really good sometimes, but I think that there's more growth and more learning to be done by having conversations and listening to conversations and just hearing people and sitting with what they say and figuring out whether it resonates or it doesn't. Mm Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, I agree. Amazing, so beautiful. Thank you with all my heart for being here in the space, being my first international person I've got to talk to. I have so much admiration for you and the work you do you're one of the people whose stories I watch every single day even though just like just like you know check in what's Callie up to and I love what you create so thank you for that well thank you for having me and for creating this safe space for me and everyone and everyone who listens so thank you amazing thank you Kelly. <laughs>